You're listening to a podcast from Burley Heads Church of Christ, from Burley Heads on the Gold Coast. So we do a thing at this church, if you're unfamiliar, every, about a month, sometimes it's a bit longer, we are on what we call the transformation trek. Um, It's not actually a walk, (laughs) there's no walking involved, but looking at the world at the moment and looking at its loss of even the Christian world, it's loss of rhythms, it's loss of practices. Um, attendance is, um, at all churches, can be fortnightly, can be monthly, can be, we hope it's weekly when you can, but life's, life's busy and so what we miss is these overarching themes of consistency. And so one of the things, that's one half of it, the other half, this church doesn't want to be, we don't want to build audience. I have no desire to just build people to come along, enjoy the show, sing their songs, and that's it. This thing isn't interfering with our life. If Jesus isn't in our life, then like, what's, what's the point? We want to build disciples. We don't want to build audience. If you build audience, you get consumers, and then nothing's ever good enough because the show's not good enough. Always, we're human. <laughs> if you build disciples, then we get producers of the gospel, Right? And so that's a heart, that's the heart behind what we call the transformation trek, which means about once a month, we look at something that Jesus took very important, or Jesus saw as important, and we discuss that for the month. So we'll be back into Luke next week, around Mother's Day, and, uh, and, but today we're just launching a new practice. So if you d- didn't get this, this is in the foyer, it's online, and basically it's a guide to this monthly's practice. It's got some activities. Activity sounds a bit kiddish. What's something that sounds... Some challenges. That sounds a bit cooler. There you go. It's got some challenges (laughs) for you to try this month. And this month, we're looking at wielding the word, Bible reading. Uh, Some practices we change up. Some practices we'll do every year. Bible reading will be one of those ones we do every year because it's so central. And we hope that whether you're four years old or 207... This will be an encouragement to pick up the Bible for the first time or more to live out of the Bible. That's my encouragement for this morning and for this month. Wielding the word, we've called it. This idea of using the Bible, living out of the Bible. We want to explore this morning. First of all, I want to show you a family heirloom. Got to be very careful with it. This is a uh, katana. Despite, no, I'll be honest with you, despite what it looks like, it's actually not a real sword. And it was won at the ancient tradition of fishing for rubber duckies at Brunswick Heads Fair with Noah. And we won two of these. One has already gone missing. But you can just see, I'll be careful with its sharpness. But yeah, sword. Sword won at Brunswick Heads Fair. Me and Noah. Noah loves this thing, as you can imagine. But it got me thinking, imagine if, I, imagine if it was real and imagine if I gave it to Noah. The cat would be chopped in half within seconds, I reckon. That poor, poor cat. He's attempted already with this, but he, would, he didn't miss either. So, he would, he would, so imagine, imagine giving Noah a real sword. You know, the Bible, and let me find the passage here. Ephesians 6, 7, it actually refers to this being, or the Bible being the sword of the Spirit. It refers to, it actually references deliberately in the Bible, let me get an analogue version, 
There we go. It refers to this as being the sword of the Spirit. A weapon, a tool. It's made to be used. Not just to know, although that's good, but to use. And that's why we've called this today's wielding the word. Like a sword. But, like Noah, there are risks associated with it. And I don't want to talk too much about this today because my encouragement is to pick it up, not to be scared of it. But like any weapon, it can actually also cause damage. And so I just wanted to go through some of the risks associated with how we use this and then we'll get into the good stuff of some encouragement of why you should be using this. If you switch off, if you fall asleep this morning, the heart behind this morning's message and this month is to reconsider or consider picking this up more and getting into it. If nothing else, there you go, that's the whole message. Consider picking this thing up. 45,000 different denominations in the world at the moment. All of them believe that the thing they do comes from this. That says to me (laughs) that sometimes we can wave this thing around And sometimes it's not as simple as just throwing verses at each other. 45,000 different denominations all believe what they do. Most of those being Christian, well, all those being Christian, and so their central theology is about God and Jesus. and So that's right, but they've waved this around enough that they've caused 45,000 different denominations. That says to me that the challenge before we look at picking this thing up is it has to have some sort of reverence. Amen? We have to have some sort of respect for the weapon. I wouldn't give it to Noah again, just a willy-nilly, you'll end up chopping a cat in half, like I said. It can be a weapon. So I don't say that to scare you. I just want to talk about this balance. Because do you know that a perfect sword, and again, this isn't a real sword, but a perfect sword is in perfect balance. The best swords in the world are in balance. And what I mean by that, they want to be balanced so that you can balance them on one finger. So I've read. I'm not actually a swordsmith, so if you go check that up and that's incorrect, or if one of you is a blacksmith or a swordsmith here and you're like, correct me now. But from what I've researched, it needs to be perfectly balanced. And the reason a sword needs to be balanced is you need to be able to chop and defend. So it needs to go down and up as quickly as possible. Perfect balance. And the same is true for the Word of God. It has a balance, it has a tension to it, which is best summarised by Philip Yancey. He says... The Bible tells a story of God, the eternal sovereign creator. His approach and his purpose for this world he created, which includes humanity and the created uh, and created in his image. So it's God's word, amen. But it also tells the story of humanity. The created how they interact with the sovereign, their pursuits, their failings, their rebellion and their surrendering. There's this strange tension within the Bible that is both divine and human, inspired, breathed by God, but written by humans. It's this strange tension that nothing else in this whole world, if not universe, exists like this thing. (laughs) Humans normally can't stand balance we like things in boxes we want things in political parties we want a side to choose we're not going to get that when it comes to the word of god it needs to be balanced it's both divine and human profound 
but it has a balance to it. And what do I mean by a balance when it comes to wielding the word? Let me give you some examples so you know what I'm talking about. The Bible is a mix of very human desires. It's God-breathed, but somehow we must sit in this tension. For example, we don't worship the Father, Son, and the Holy Bible. We don't worship this thing. We worship the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We use this thing with the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we worship it. It's God's word, but it's not God. Strange tension. I know some of you will be, unco- be uncomfortable with that because we just don't know what to do when there's a tension there because there's nothing else in the whole world like this thing. It's beautiful, but it sits in this tension. It's both godly and human. So we don't want to throw. And, and I, I'm more conservative background, and we don't say, unfortunately, we want to say it more. We don't use the term Holy Spirit much in this place. We actually sometimes, the more conservatives decide to, like kind of safety net we add in the Holy Bible. But it exists, the Holy Spirit. And one of my heart beats for this church is that we talk more about the Holy Spirit because it exists and it helps us with this. Amen? And we need to talk about it more. I've been trying to change my vocabulary because we say, welcome Jesus. I'm going on a tangent here. We say, welcome Jesus. But Jesus said, I'm leaving. <laughs> he's here with us in spirit, but he's in spirit, in Holy Spirit. So I'm, just so you know, I'm shifting my vocab. And I want to explore the Holy Spirit more because sometimes because of the damage of certain eras, we've thrown the whole thing out. And we just, yeah, so that's just a completely different tangent. But some of you will be amening. Some of you will be, oh, <laughs> what's that mean? I don't know what it means, but it, I know we need to talk about that third part of the Trinity more and let it help us with the Holy Bible. That's one example of that balance. The other example is, and you'll hear this from your non-Christian friends, likely, they say it to me, they go, hey, have you read the Bible, Steve? Do you know that it talks about slavery, killing, murder, incest, pedophilia? Do you read that? Do you know that it says that? They're always shocked when I say, yeah, humans have been broken since I've known them. Humans have done ugly and gross things forever since sin corrupted things. And so this story talks literally about, there's some funny verses you can find. There's some funny verses that you don't put on the bottom of greeting cards or Christmas cards. Talking about, yeah, donkeys, parts and different things. There's some verses there that, yeah, you don't put much love, Deuteronomy. <laughs> it's ugly. It talks about ugly things because humans are ugly, but it talks about a God that redeems that. It's allowed to talk about those things because it's incredibly human. But it talks about a story of God, a library of books talking about a story of God redeeming that. That's the weird balance. So when your friends come with you and go, do you know it talks about slavery? Yeah, because slavery existed. And actually God talks into that, talks about that. Talks about loving your neighbor more than yourself or as yourself. It totally would affect how you treat a slave. Or, I'll just give you a couple examples of this. This is one that's difficult to sit in attention with. It's got context and genre to it. 
So can I give you a couple of examples of this and I'll try to explain, but a classic example is we use Jeremiah, my wife's favorite verse, Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans for a future and to prosper you. We take that, but sometimes we forget it's written to exiles in Babylon who will not see the end of those plans. They will die. Their kids or their kids will see the plan God has for you. What I'm trying to say is the message isn't, hey, I know that you've just ran up the back of that car. God will fix this today. Jeremiah 27, he has a plan for you in this. (laughs) Sometimes the day is just really bad, but overall God is good. And we can rely and trust that when we run up the back of someone's car, he's still good and he's got us. Does that make sense? The other one, I'll give you another example. You're a, you're a giant killer. You know, I've heard that. You're a giant killer like David. Do you know some giants in our life God doesn't kill in the immediate? Do you know how I know this? It's a bit morbid, but it's true. We will all die. So there's a giant that God won't kill immediately. The story of David is not about a guy killing a giant. It's about God working through a guy killing a giant. You're not a giant killer, sorry. God is a giant killer. And some giants he may not kill just because he did it once. Some he will give you an example. You might be going for a job promotion or your business might be acquiring another business and someone will come up to you and go, well, God's a giant. You're a giant killer. God might be up there going, no, no, no. I don't want to take you away from your family more. I actually don't want that business deal to go through. It's that tension. Although sometimes you'll meet with someone and they're facing something like cancer and you go, hey, remember David and Goliath? God's bigger than this. That's great. That's a word from God, the Holy Spirit. Can you see what I mean when I say tension? We just need to live in a tension that is both human with context and genre. It's not one book, it's 66 books. It's a library of books, all telling a story of God's goodness, that he's over it all and in all, all telling a story about Jesus. We should use it. Just be careful with it. Don't wield it around. Open it. Use it. All right, that's enough of the kind of tension that we need to sit in. Because, oh, actually, the last bit, the genre thing is important. Do you know Jesus said in some of Scripture, he says, I am a door? Genre is important. Some is poetry. He's not a literal door. He is a literal spiritual door to the Father, but he's not. you don't get to heaven and there's a big wooden door and it says, hey, it's me, Jesus. Genre is important. Context is important. Amen? It's just good to take that tension as we wield this thing around, go, hey, this thing's sharp, this thing's powerful. Let's just give it some respect and reverence that it deserves. So let me look at what the Bible says about the Bible. All I want to do today is I want to give you three encouragements, three simple encouragements of why the Bible says you should read it. And it starts here at 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped 
equipped, I'm not talking well today, for every good work. And Psalms 119 to 105 says this, Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. The first invitation this morning, why you should be opening this every chance you get, is it's an invitation to let the Bible guide you. Those two verses are clear. It says the Bible, the Word of God, guides you. You know, my kids have got in this habit. can't remember if I've spoken about this before, but there's another member of our household that exists in my kid's mind. I hear this from all areas of the room. Hey, Google, how do you spell teacher? Hey, Google, what's 46 times 2? Hey, Google, play Enchanted. That's a Disney thing. If you have kids, you'll, you'll know. Hey, Google. And just every question. Hey, Google, how many legs does a wombat have? We know it's four, but yeah, the learning. So, hey, Google. And so much so that when we went to Pottsville recently, they missed it. One of my kids yelled, hey, Google. And I'm like, Google's not here. Google stayed home. <laughs> they miss it. I think it was Annabelle, my middle child, said, I miss Google. It's like another member to our family. And, I, and, and, and part of me goes, I wish they didn't go to Google. I wish they went to me and mum, or I wish they went to this. How do, I, or how do I train my kids to go to that? And then I was conflicted because I don't go to Google necessarily, or I do sometimes, but I go to podcasts, I go to experts, I go to the news, even preachers, thirst for my guidance sometimes. And it was challenging to me to realise they're all good things, not evil. Google's not, he, like, Google's not evil, I don't think it is yet. That device isn't. But how often do we as adults go everywhere else before we go to this for guidance? For relationship guidance. We might go to a friend, which is good to have friends to talk to, especially Christian friends. I'm not saying that. But do you go to this first, a library of thousands of years of people dealing with the divine, do you go to that first? For work decisions, for family issues, for church issues, for guidance on purpose and life, where do you go first? Some of you are instantly, of course I go to the Bible. I'd encourage you to be honest with yourself because I'm not asking you to say it out loud. Just where do you go first? Do we lean into the Spirit do we see, sit with God's word and open the 66 books that tell a story of Yahweh God and his unfolding plan for redemption in this world? The plan that is playing out right now in your life through him. Do you go to that through first? And so that's my first question. How often are you using the spirit and the word to guide you? Not a guilt trip, just an encouragement. Are you going to it first? Are you going to his spirit? Are you going to his word first? Can I encourage you, if not, to consider trying it? Because it works. <laughs> it really works. Number two. I'll read this verse, Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is alive and active... And here's another version of this, sharper than a double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. This is an invitation from the Bible itself 
to let the Bible pierce you. It's so easy to think the Bible, the sword of the Spirit, it's so easy to think that this is meant for other people. I'll get my kids, I'll get that person, I'll get my grandkids, I'll chop them and quote scripture at them that they don't know the context of, they don't understand, I'll cut them and I'll get them. Maybe sometimes, but barely, is it meant to be used as a way to judge others. Or we think that it'll win arguments. We, arguments are good. Apologetics is kind of a science around debating the Bible. That's great. Wrestling with it is good. But using the Bible just to cut things down? How about if you actually aimed it at yourself? This is my encouragement. And let the thing where you're daily reading pierce you. Confront you. I mean, I love wrestling with friends with the Bible. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about damaging, cutting, trying to overload them with Scripture till they get it. I love explaining Scripture to friends. I love Bible studies. But this is not what this verse is necessarily talking about. It's talking about it piercing through you, the marrow, the bones, right into your soul, the Word of God. And after all, Jesus says our enemy isn't each other. So when it says protect yourself with a sword of truth, it's not at each other. It's at the dark dominion of this world. It's at the evil above or below that. It's not at your fellow man or woman. The evil is something darker and deeper. We have a weapon for that. Amen? These books plus the guidance of the Spirit is an invitation to let it pierce you. Let the extreme grace of God convict and encourage you. Let it get in there. <laughs> know this story. Let the love of the outcast that Jesus shows, let that challenge you. Let that annoy you. Let that wrestle within you. How come he loves those people? Let it get in there. Read it. Let it soak it in. He loves some pretty dangerous and outcast people. People the church still has problems with actually sharing the gospel with. Not When I say church, I'm not even saying this church, I'm saying the church as a whole. Let it challenge you. Let the stories of his forgiveness move you. Let his judgment and absolute justice give you a little scare at times, going, we serve a holy, just God who is the true judge. Let that give you a little bit of, ooh, that's scary. It's good for us every now and then. Let his mission for the kingdom inspire you, give you purpose, give you hope, and give you a future. Let this story cut to the deepest part of who you are. You are created in his image. You are loved. This says you are loved. 66 books. And they tell us that God loves you. You are loved. You have a purpose. You are not some random event that accidentally happened in the void of space. You have a purpose. You are loved. Despite what any other story has told you from a parent, uncle, auntie, no parents, school teacher, this tells a different and true reality that you are loved. You are forgiven. Let it let it cut you deep. Let it get. I love that description because it's like in the marrow, which is some of the most painful 
stuff you can get into in surgery. Let it cut and marrow your bones. May you know you're loved and forgiven. Let it pierce. You may not even be sure if it's all real this morning. You might be visiting or new to faith. Let that pierce you. I believe deep down eternity is in the hearts of all men. I believe you know, even if you think this tension of this Bible is strange, I know you know there's something deeper and truer in it. Let that pierce you today. Cut into your bones. Otherwise, what's the point of reading it? Again, I say this every time. It's not a test at the end of heaven. You don't get there and do a pop quiz and then get into heaven. It's not knowledge is great if applied. That's why we say the transformation trek is about learning and living in the ways of Jesus. It's a tool. Use it. It's a gift. Brad said last time he preached here, Brad Godby preached here last year on similar stuff. He said it's a gift. Use it. So are you letting the Spirit and the Bible pierce you? Second challenge today. Church, are we just, let's just be honest with ourselves. Are we letting it really get in our bones? And then my last encouragement today about picking up this thing and wielding it comes from Psalms 119, 10 to 11. Seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I've hidden your word in my heart and I may not sin against you. Psalms 1, 2 says, But those who delight in the law of the Lord and meditate on its law day and night. Delighting it, enjoying. I heard this description about preaching once and I've stuck with me. It said, let people see you enjoy the Bible. If you want your kids to know the Bible, your grandkids to know the Bible, let them see, don't swing it around at them. Let them see you enjoy it with them. Let them see you go to it first before Google. They'll follow. They'll go through a rough patch there. All kids do. Ask my parents. Poor things. Pray for them still. They're still recovering from my teenage years. I had a lady come here the other day that used to be one of my youth group leaders. And she came in. She goes, we took us a second. She said, I said her name and she goes, Steve Gray, you're, you're the pastor here? Oh, you're okay. You turned out all right. And she was genuinely, you know, turned out okay. There is a God. <laughs> Could not believe it. They come back. And for me, I won't share my whole testimony right now, but for me, my parents were a part of this. I saw real faith played out in my life but also I had uncles and aunties in spiritual parents in my life at my church where I saw genuine faith and it annoyed me right through those years until I came back and said this thing I know deep down even if I'm not following it I know this thing is real that's my story share it with you another time or any time just ask but not right now Matt 4, 4 says, Jesus answered, It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. That full satisfaction and story that comes from the Spirit and its word. Isaiah 55, 9, 11, I love this one. For as heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Just as the rain and snow fall from heaven and do not return without watering the earth, making it bud and sprout, providing seed to sow and food to eat. My word that proceeds from my mouth will not, I just testified to this, will not return empty, 
but it will accomplish what I please and it will prosper where I send it. Using and reading and picking this up daily, it says, will not return empty. Knowing his words, living in his spirit, inviting the spirit into your day day daily and reading his word will not return empty. It will do something in you and with you that is profound. It'll tell a different story from a... I've talked about this already, but it'll tell... Last week, it'll tell a different story from a pending recession. Everyone gets scared. From wars and rumours of wars, which we should respect and have a fear to it. But it's not the central story in your life. Ageing, we have heaps of people here. Actually, everyone in this room is ageing. Do you know that? We're all ageing. Some are ahead of the journey than others it's scary there's things that are happening that shouldn't be your central story though some of us live with sickness it shouldn't be your central story some of you watch the news which is all about fear and greed and the grossness of humanity that shouldn't be your central story your number one story and resource that will not return empty is god's story that is the universe's story and that is your story You just come after the 66 books. Your story will not return empty. And so that's my last encouragement. Let the word and spirit transform you, change you, move you. So much fear, so many other stories. I see lots of people, kind of my last part of this, I see lots of people use this for fear. There's a news announcement about anything and they suddenly flick open the last page and they go, oh, the armies. I've heard rumours recently that Russia's looking around for other places to go to war and they instantly go, the army of the north found in Revelations 9. Now, that's fine, it's good. Revelation is there to know the signs. But people have been saying that for 2,000 years. People in Nazi Germany were pretty sure if they were a Jew sitting in Nazi camp and they saw Hitler, they're pretty sure they're flicking through here going, yeah, this feels like end times. So it's not bad. But I would encourage you, if that's all you use the Bible for is fear or anxiety, then you're using it wrong. The Bible is, to, is meant to transform you into a non-anxious presence. I'm not knocking if you have anxiety or any type of... Um, mental struggles at all don't don't hear me wrong but the bible is meant to push you towards that it's meant to look at yes some of the signs that look pretty terrifying in our world and go yeah so if someone was to talk to me yeah the bible's pretty clear there's going to be always wars particularly around that middle east and at some stage but the point is the some stage god wins amen nothing wrong with looking through the bible please don't use it for fear Use it to transform you into a non-anxious presence. You can live your life knowing that not even death can defeat you because God's got you. You can live your life that no war that even comes to our shores can get you in the eternal picture because God's got you. You lose everything, God's still got you. That's what the Bible's meant to produce. Amen? It's a tool. It's a transformative tool. Nothing wrong with Bible studies, but just be careful you're not swinging fear around. (laughs) Because you'll just transform into an anxious, angry, judgmental person. 
as opposed to a non-anxious presence. Over time, I'm still very much working on it. See me five minutes, you guys do. 20 minutes before church, I'm not a non-anxious presence. I'm working on it. Are you allowing the word and the spirit to transform you? So, last point is this thing. It's my last tool. We don't want to just say, go read the Bible and not give you a hand. I would ask, similar to this question, people say to me all the time, what version should I read, Steve? What version should I read? I say, just, just, just read it. Just read it. That's the main point. Then we can talk about the superior version, which I think is ESV. I do that to just because I know there'll be a couple of King James. Come at me. It's good. doesn't matter. Open the Bible. Open the Bible. That's the main point. This is full of ways to read the Bible, but whatever works for you as long as you're doing it. I talked often about the coffee machine and my Bible next to the coffee machine. It convicts me. It helps me read it with my coffee in the morning. That works for me. I have to go to the analog version of the Bible because there's too many good apps on my phone that distract me. That works for me. Have a look through here and see what would work for you and help you get into it daily and do more of that. Does that make sense? Be creative. If you need to go outside to read it, do that. That's okay. If you need to be inside, if you need a special room in the house that's your Bible reading room, do it if it helps you read it more. Bill Hybels used to speak about a chair he had in his house that when he sat on that chair, he spent 15 minutes with the Holy Spirit and in the Word every morning. So he'd walk past the chair and go, that's my Bible reading chair. I, whatever works for you. What a couple of tools to help you if you want to start in a gospel, I encourage you maybe to start in Mark. It's a great place to start. If you want to encourage, if you want to know how your identity, who you are, who the church is, start in Ephesians. If you want to know where to start, come and have a chat to me or anyone else in this church. At the back of here is a link to the Bible app. I'm encouraging us all or whoever wants to to go through the Bible in a year, starting tomorrow. I'll be doing it. There's a link at the back. You can jump in and we can do the Bible together. Does it make sense? Read it, open it, wield it. Let it pierce you, let it guide you and let it transform you. It's a gift, church. Let's use it. Let me pray and we'll finish with one more song. Father God, we thank you for your Holy Spirit. Father, I just acknowledge that even as I pray now, the Bible is so many different things to so many people. And so we just pray again that the main message, Lord, that it is your word, it is sovereign. It is not to be worshipped, but it is holy. And it's a gift and we should use it. Father, help us to use it more. Help us to be encouraged to read it more. Help us to see fruit out of our daily reading of it. Help it to pierce our bones and help it to transform us. Stir within us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks so much, team.